All right, welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today, we have Justin Headley on the show. And quite quite the anomaly here. This is something that I didn't think was a, a possibility. But if I'm understanding this correctly, you are an accountant that is in technology or in IT of some sort. Yeah, Phil, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so my background is in accounting. Um, I've always had a passion for IT, kind of combining those things. And um, that's what we help a lot of uh, our small to medium-sized clients with is just, um, yeah, kind of, kind of solving IT. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, it's, I think it's easy to be passionate about technology. Is it easy to be passionate about accounting? <laughs> I mean, that come on, let's be honest. I, you know how many people I've had that are like, you know, I got into accounting because I knew I could make money and have a good job and I could do yeah, this yeah. and I could live in the city. And then I really, what I realized uh, six months into it is that I, I did not want to do that. So I left and lived on an island and started surfing. There, there, there's definitely a niche there because uh, if you're a number crunching guy, then yeah, you get that plays well. But uh, you got to you got to be passionate about that stuff. So, anyways, just you know, before we get into this, because I think we have a lot of uh, important stuff that's very valuable to IT leadership in general. Uh, but before we dig into that, how did you kind of fall into IT, or how did you get into accounting? Maybe maybe we start with when you grew up. What was your first computer? How, what was your first, you know, kind of major, I guess, uh, love affair with technology? Probably. So I, I would probably still be classified as a millennial. Um, but okay. I would say. Well, then I'm right. allowed to ask. Then I'm allowed to ask when you were born. So what's your, when were you born? <laughs> I was born in 88. So I'm 31 years old. Um, wow, so really I'm probably going to get a lot of eye rolls here. Um, you really are millennial. Yeah, right, Great. right, right. There's, a, there's always one. Anyways, go ahead. But you know, initially for me, um, it, it was it was mobile devices. That was what that was what <laughs> captured my attention. I know again what I this is great. No, this is perfect. But, this is perfect. Um, mobile devices. What was your first cell? You know what? I'm gonna have to start interviewing millennials, <laughs> and the question is gonna be, what was your first cell phone? What was your start? Yeah, right. That would be an interesting question. What was so, it? So here, so it was. Um, um, it, it was not a touchscreen phone. Uh, to to, to <laughs> the dismay here of everyone, but um, if you remember back in the day, uh, the Sprint kind of next cell phones. Um, that was uh, that was my first phone. It was like a little, little flip Sprint Nextel beep beep phone. So yeah, yeah kind of like the was it like a a, a, a goldish silver tan? That's it. Yeah, with the they pull out the, antenna. Did it have a pull out antenna? Absolutely. They all looked like construction okay. phones or something. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. No, that was my my wife's. That was my wife's phone in college, and uh, she was born in eighty one. I got you. So okay, she, okay. you know, she's a millennial. She's a legit. <laughs> Millennial. millennial, like the old, like the old millennial, like the, okay, like on the, the, on like, the older end of the spectrum. What, what are they, what are, I don't know what they call like the old millennial, like the, oh, anyways. Okay. Um, so what was your first computer? Must know now. Like, oh, it was a, um, I don't know, Pentium 3 or something. Do you remember? Did you even have a disk drive? Um, I can remember my first computer. It was probably the laptop I got like end of high school, first college. It's like a hotel laptop. I think it had like a Centrino processor in it. That's probably like, man, that was fast. This is perfect. (laughs) This is perfect. Um, I I don't even know. I don't even know what to ask you because you weren't around for, it's just interesting. You know what I mean? Like I had Pong growing up. Okay. I had Pong. Like I literally had Pong. 
Yeah. You had to use like a Phillips head screwdriver to screw the, to connect it to the back of your TV. Yeah. Wow. It was, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I can go back to, you know, video game wise, you know, um, okay. What was the first major video? Some, game? some original NES. I can remember playing, uh, I was a big fan of, uh, Mike Tyson's, uh, punch out game. That, that was awesome. Uh, it's still duck, fun. Little duck shooting. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. I can see this is going almost nowhere. That's fine. <laughs> um, so anyways, um, did you, what did you major in in college? So my major was in accounting. Um, mm-hmm. again, yeah, having to find a passion for that, but, mm-hmm. uh, major was in accounting and, uh, again, a lot, a lot of, I had, I had a lot of professors, uh, p- people say that if, if you do accounting, you can do anything. And it's, it's a cliche, but it, <laughs> you, you truly can. And you know, you see where I'm, I'm at today. Well, why is that? Why did they say that? Well, I think from an accounting perspective, it gives you a good general base of not only how a uh, an, an IT organ or how a company is run, but I mean, r- really from that perspective, uh, it gives you a good overview of um, controls that should be in place, how things should be run. It, it's just a good foundation, if you had to put it that way. The best education I ever had was being like a Starbucks store manager because they put you through all kinds of business classes and P and L reading P and L and line items on P and Ls and gross margin and controllable costs and you know, all stuff that you just don't learn as a creative writing oh, major. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know? Um, and that really helped I think separate me a lot when I got into uh, technology sales, I guess you could say at the beginning, cause I worked for a Cisco startup and it was pretty aggressive sales force. And I think a lot of people that don't have that accounting background, they can't speak to a business owner and understand what his concerns are. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think Whereas, so much, yeah, you know, it's a numbers game at the end of the day, it's a numbers game and that, but but at the same time, it's not a numbers game because we have humans running the business and we can't just refer to humans as headcount, which um, an accountant might refer no, to for sure. uh, at some point in his career. So um, there's kind of that, that, dual, that duality there. Um, so, so you left accounting. Were you, did you have a job in college or when you first got out of college that kind of got you into IT? Was that kind of how you fell into it or, or what was it? Yeah, absolutely. I... Um I had a uh, internship while I was still in college, just just doing traditional like accounting. Um, but uh, I found kind of a need. It was a small accounting firm, and they didn't really have a dedicated IT person. I essentially became their their help desk guy, mm-hmm. and uh, never thought I could do something like that. And uh, it just continued and played on from there. Gotcha. So one of the big themes of my show is, of course business acumen and IT directors lack thereof business acumen or successful IT directors using business acumen skills to really kind of drive the business forward and get them out of that cost center mentality. Now you having an accounting background and being in IT at the same time, do you still look at IT as a cost center? Um, So to speak, I mean, is it, I mean, from an accounting perspective, I guess it would be like a cost center, but but there's so many aspects of it that can affect ROI and or really sink the business, which is what we're going to get to here in a few seconds. But what, what do you think of that referring to IT as a cost center and how should it really be looked at? Yeah. When, when we, when we do these, these audits, whether IT risk assessments is so, so many times we know we're, we're sitting down 
Um, the people who initially hired us are, you know, from a CFO perspective, uh-huh. uh, they very much have that mindset of, of IT as a cost center and, you know, a necessary evil of doing business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we always have to remind them that even though they might be uh, in manufacturing or in retail, um, I'm a firm believer that every company today is an IT company. You either embrace change or you get a left. So that's something we, it, it's a continual education, especially with executive management of you need to get with your IT directors. You need to give them a seat at your table with your board of directors. Um, they're a wealth of information. You have to embrace, um, have to embrace technology or, um, so you're almost like the you're almost like the like knight in shining armor that can come into an organization where an IT director might not have had a voice in a long time and you can come in as a third party and speak directly to C-level directors and say, uh, you need to bring in your IT guys and give them a seat at the table because if you don't do that, you're creating, you're making shadow IT decisions, you're oh, creating right. holes in security. You, you might be the first person I've spoke to that's like an outsider that makes that happen. Yeah, we're, we definitely act as an advocate for IT. I mean, um, huh. and j- just because, uh, again, there, there's always this disconnect between IT and executive management. What are they really doing over there? We just see this huge line item on the budget. Um, but then kind of bridging <laughs> that, yeah, bridging that gap between IT and executive management and putting them on the same page uh, and kind of help them gain some synergy. Because I'm always encouraging everybody to no, you need to, you need to be driving that process. As an IT director, you need to be asking the questions. You need to be having a one-on-one, one-to-one sit-downs. You need to be asking C-level directors what the vision is of the business. How can you help solve problems, increase profits, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever, increase efficiencies, that type of thing. Okay. So here's, here's the big thing. The big thing that keeps every IT director up at night, the big thing that might wake them up in the middle of the night. Uh, and the thing that is a never ending, I don't know what the correct metaphor. I think the metaphor is similar to like the postal system. The mail will never end. And if you take a vacation, all you have done is doubled your amount of work because the mail keeps coming and except that mail, you have no idea what's in every single one of those envelopes. There could be like razor blades in it. In yeah, it. right, right. There could be, um, what was the scare years ago? The, the anthrax, um, oh, yeah. you know, whatever it is. And that, that subject is security. I don't like talking about security that often because, I don't know, security in general, it, for this reason, for the apps, for the, for the reason that it just seems to constantly keep people up at night and it seems to be such a... Uh, like a never-ending battle mm-hmm. where it's a one-sided thing where it's kind of like the, 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 you know, the empire is really the rebel force and it's, it's yeah. kind of all backwards, right? Yeah. You go in from a, not only an accounting perspective, but a high-level IT technology perspective and you do security audits. Mm-hmm. And what I want to talk about and what I want to ask you really is for any IT director out there that's being kept up at night for security that, you know, kind of is lost in this world of, of this endless battle. Where should they be starting? What should they be thinking? And, and maybe, I guess, uh, what do you guys do when you go in? What's the first thing that you look at? Yeah, we, 
we always start with um, what I would call some of the, the low hanging fruit. I mean, um, we, there's certainly times that we can go in and do these, these huge in-depth audits, but you know, a lot of times they're looking for well, what, what are the quick hitters here? Um, the first thing I would probably say is uh, getting proper oversight of, of your vendors. I think we're continuing to continuing to outsource things. Um, and, and before we do that, and before yeah. we kind of get into the weeds here, when you say low-hanging fruit, that sounds like quick wins to me, but what does low-hanging fruit really mean to you in the security space? Is it, is it the biggest holes? Or is it just stuff that should be like the obvious things that we hit first and we still know that there's still things that are going to keep you up at night? Yeah, I'm going from that perspective of the, the obvious things. Um, well, well, what are people getting hit on? Um, those okay. obvious holes, things, things we should uh, focus it on first. Yeah. Okay, so let's do it. So keep going. We're, we're talking about uh, vendor oversight. What does that mean? Yeah, so for vendor oversight, you know, as society, IT, we continue to outsource uh, more services. Um, one thing we always we always tell to our clients is, you know, even though you can outsource uh, the service, you you can't outsource the responsibility. So, uh, having proper oversight, you know, there so many of these breaches are happening through third parties. There's just there's just a lack of oversight, whether that be through uh, the accounts that you have on Active Directory, your VPNs, um, just a good oversight perspective. So just whether that's... Uh, Can you designated. give me a couple examples? Just give me a couple examples of like, what would you say is the number one thing that people outsource that creates a vulnerability that uh, people get hit on? Yeah, so I would say, you know, especially we talk about small to medium-sized businesses. I mean, if it's a, if it's an MSP, uh-huh. uh, whether it's some local IT company that's helping out with these things, you know, uh-huh. uh, that would probably be one of the number one things small and medium-sized businesses could key in on. So... Okay. What is the local MSP doing that's um, stupid that they should be concerned about? You know, the biggest thing we see with those um, is a, a lack of oversight on, on some of these, these vendor accounts um, that, that, that they're using um, for access to the systems. Um, that, that's usually one of the, one of the biggest things we see right off the bat. What's one of the vent? What's one of the vendors, or what's one of the? Is it the fact that they manage multiple vendors for a customer uh, with multiple passwords and portals? Is it, you know, give me something specific? Yeah, I mean, let's see. You mean specific that like hosted exchange, like a product? I need a product. I need a vendor product without naming, you know, a name of a particular mm, MSP. A vendor product. Is it? Is it? Is it? You know? Is it? O three sixty five. Is it? You know? What is it? Is it? Well, I guess what. Well, what I was really keen on there would have been like these local, um, these local, I would call them mom and pop IT shops um, yep. that you are just giving complete unfettered access to um, and <laughs> giving them keys to the kingdom just because I, hey, I trust them. Yeah. Um, and not, not really knowing it's like, you know, as an auditor, we always say, you know, trust, but verify. And that, that maybe gets overused, but I mean, this day and age, you can't be too careful. Yeah. And then I'm in a quite a few MSP groups secretly watching behind the scenes. And I see quite a bit of back and forth talk about my customer just did this. And in my terms and conditions, I said this, 
And should I have them sign a waiver saying that I'm not responsible for data loss if they do this, this, and this? So then you've got this kind of mix of, hey, we're outsourcing stuff to MSPs. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then we make a shadow IT decision that Mm -hmm. screws kind of the MSP provider from their perspective because they're selfish of their perfect work, which we know is not always perfect. Yeah. Um, So there's actually quite a few, there's quite a few, I don't know, like problems and issues there that I think we could talk about all day long. So maybe we'll just stop there and we'll leave it at um, the outsourcing of service to MSPs and the responsibility around that. Uh, what do you help them do? Write a policy? Should they write a policy about this from an internal perspective? Kind of what's the attack plan? Yeah, po- policies are certainly certainly a good thing. But I mean, to actually get teeth to something, um, you know, a, a great a great great control you can put in place or is logical access reviews. So uh, just periodically, just just pulling pulling the listing of those accounts, making sure the access that you've given, making sure it's still appropriate. Okay. Um, and for example, um, give me something that would change. All right. Now, are you talking context out of those laws? I mean, are you saying like, say we gave this vendor access to this? Are you okay. saying, hey, yeah. they're not a vendor anymore, yet they still have access? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kind of like an employee from, that ha- like an employee that got fired that still has access to Salesforce. Yeah, absolutely. From terminated user perspective, terminated vendors. Um, gotcha. He had multiple accounts out there from vendors, uh, but yeah. Okay. What other low-hanging fruit do we have other than vendors? What's What's the next bullet point? You know, the, the second thing, and this seems like it should be so obvious, but it, it really is. It, it's education. Um, education of your end users is critical. I mean, you could have a fortress of IT security, uh, but, you know, we, we are dealing with um, uneducated end users, and one click of a button could un- completely undo all of that hard work that you put in place. So the education of your end users is so important, whether that's through periodic security training, um, social engineering, the phishing email testing, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's so important. Now, I think education definitely is important and everyone will, like you said, it sounds so obvious, but you know, maybe they don't do it or maybe they're using some program that sends videos out every week or they've got yeah. uh, email phishing, fake emails that get sent out and play tricks on end users and that type of thing and say, hey, you clicked on this and this is what could have happened if you did this. But... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about, again, policy and procedures and expectations set around the education that, hey, we sent you this educational document. You said you read it. Now you're responsible for it. Have you run into any kind of people that have, that have done well holding people accountable to it? Because I think a lot of times, I know from my own past experience working at numerous companies, I think that someone might possibly treat the company's cell phone, for example, just for example, the company's cell phone or the company laptop, they might treat that differently than they would treat their own laptop at home. True or false? No, I mean, I I definitely think that's a true statement. I mean, going back to your, to the policy example, I mean, uh, uh, we will always recommend policies as an auditor. I mean, we love policies and procedures. Um, but they are they they kind of serve sometimes as that CYA, and I, yep. I mentioned uh, previously about giving something teeth, so actual training, or um, not getting to auditor speak here, but a putting a preventative control or a detective control in place. That's something that a policy procedure might not could offer you. 
I guess and at, the, at the end of the day is how do we get end users to be bought in to care about the education? Because we know it's the, we know the old 80, 20 rule. We know maybe 20% of the people are like the perfect, the perfect employee that, you know, will they'll follow all the education, do everything. But then, you know, maybe the, maybe the bottom 20% or the other bottom 80% just kind of, you know, show up for work and, you know, yeah. depending on your company culture, I'm not accusing anyone out there of not having a company culture where we come into work and we just, you know, we wake up in the morning, we're like, you know, I'm so happy it's Monday, you know? Um, but the reality is that there's going to be people throughout the company that just don't care that click. They just click. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, what do we do about that? Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of those clickers um, are, are sometimes executive management. So what do you do with something <laughs> like that? <laughs> but, okay. um, right. Because they're the boss. Yeah, that's right. But I mean, we, we've seen uh, from our client perspective, anything from incentive reward programs, uh, mm-hmm. something to kind of change mentally mm-hmm. uh, that perspective. And then on the opposite side of that spectrum, um, obviously, this is a lot more sensitive having to work with HR on things like this. But you know, we've kind of seen a three strikes and you're out. That's a little more harsh, but uh, if you're putting someone's livelihood on the line of clicking an email, you know, maybe they think twice before doing something like that. What's the best incentive? Give me, give me a good incentive reward. Let's give back now. This is where we give back to the listeners. What's one of the best, what was, what's been one of the most effective reward programs that you guys have run? I have seen, yeah, we've seen several clients, um, have a lot of success with, uh, you know, it's small, it's not a huge line item on your budget, but, uh, uh, having a clean quarterly, no click report, you know, a $25 Starbucks gift card. I mean, you could, you couldn't go better with that. Um, and it's, it it sounds something so, so small, but again, it's, it's changing that, that mental mind shift uh, (laughs) to get them to to think Uh, before they click. This just reminds me of something. (laughs) Okay. And the reason why it reminds me of, of, of something is because I started out, Starbucks is a very interesting company. I yeah. worked for Starbucks for a long time. Yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah. And, uh, I got, I, we had this machine sale one time where we had this, we had like, I don't know, like two or three weeks to sell all these high end espresso machines. Right. And uh, I came up with this like elaborate plan to sell more espresso machines than anyone else, right? I went to like Barnes and Noble. Mm, I didn't yeah, know anything yeah. about sales. I knew nothing about sales. I, I bought this audio program, Zig Ziglar, Secrets of Closing the Sale. Oh, yeah, yeah. This other dude, Tony Robbins, and yeah. whoever he was, <laughs> you know, Awaken the Giant Within. And <laughs> it's like, I'm a Starbucks store manager, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I listened to all these programs like, okay, here's a close. Here's like, a, what's a close? You know, like, what's a sales close? Yeah. Oh, alternative of choice. Do you want black or white? So I set up a mini Starbucks inside of Starbucks. Okay. I will get to the point here. So I set up yeah. all the machines, steamed them all up, made every barista watch every DVD, every video, learn everything about every machine. And then we duplicated the, the bar, the, like the handoff bar where you go and get your drink. Right. Another section of the store was all the, the machines that you would have at home. Okay. Hot and ready to go. And then everything else that you would have at Starbucks, cups, syrup, every, you can buy it all. You can go into Starbucks. The only thing you can't buy that we couldn't buy back then was white mocha. I don't know if it's still the same today, but that's the only thing that Starbucks won't sell you. Anyways, everyone that came through the line was asked, do you want your drink for free today? That's like a demo, right? Do you want a free demo? Do you want your drink for free? Of course I want my drink for free today. Great. Come on over here. Staffed an extra person, brought that person over to the the Starbucks within a Starbucks made their drink exactly the way that it was made in the store 
but with the at-home machine. And then at the end of that, we gave it to him for free and we said, hey, great, you know, we're, we're, our machine sale's coming up next week and we're doing a pre-order because we really expect um, everything to be sold out like within the first couple hours. So we need to pre-order all the machines. Do you want the stainless steel or do you want the copper alternative yeah. of choice clothes? Yeah. And I told the, the, the breezes, just get ready for them to say no because these machines are all $600 and $1,200 machines. They're going to tell you no right away. Yeah. Objection. You're going to get an objection. And um, I just want you to do a return on investment. I want you to then ask them, okay, no problem, but how many times a week, how many times a day, a week do you come into the store? And do you have any family members that come into the store? And the number is actually quite astronomical when you think about how often people go to Starbucks and how much yeah, they spend a month. I can only imagine. Yeah. It's a car payment. It literally is a car payment. Oh, and uh, what we found out is that every single person, we would say to them, like, look, if you just come in half the time and you make your drink at home, it's paid for itself within two months. With it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want the stainless steel or do you want the copper? And they're like, wow, that's like, you know, and then you'll be able to entertain and like, blah, 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 and have this right at home. And then when Starbucks is closed, you'll be able to make a drink, whatever it is, you know, we were like a blip on the map. We sold like some ridiculous amount of machines in three weeks and Philip Howard, congratulations. You did so awesome. Here is your $50 gift certificate to the outlet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, what that, that's what that reminded me of. But, um, and I'm not, it, just so you know, uh, yeah. I'm not putting down the one-click report at all because the one-click report, I would just, there's a lot to be said about just recognition in general. People just want to see their name at the top of the list. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. I'm no. on the one-click report. Oh, what the hell did you click on, John? Yeah. What'd you click on? <laughs> Anyways, man. Sorry, sorry for this complete side. Sorry that, was, that was a good story. Yeah, it was. A, you know, take a step back in time. Okay, so one click report. Any other ones that are really good? I like the one click report. The no click. Sorry, the no the, click. The no click. Well, I mean, even if it's one click, I mean, that's still that's still a lot better than what <laughs> I've that, seen. That yeah. one click could be a bad click. Uh, <laughs> okay, so we've got uh, taking care of vendors. We've got education. What's the third yeah. one? Let's give people three bullet points. What's the okay. last low-hanging fruit? Uh, I would say the third one, and we, we see this so often, small to medium-sized companies is, uh-huh. is you know, poor oversight of, of your vulnerabilities um, out there in your system. So whether that's uh, you know, doing periodic vulnerability scanning internally, um, penetration testing, it's, it's so key, and it's something we just don't see that often. Uh, but it, it's so key to have those things done. You know, you don't, you, if you're not, you're not periodically scanning, um, you may have things up there you don't, you don't know about. You can't, you can't protect something you don't know about. So uh, that's, that, that is so key staying on top of those vulnerabilities out there. People hate that saying, you don't know what you don't know. I yeah. actually like it. It's kind of a mixed bag. I guess some people that hate it, I, I actually kind of like it. You don't know what you don't know. But yeah. what can they be doing then to, to know what they don't know? I think from a vulnerability scanning perspective, I mean, though you can get uh, very astronomical how some some expensive those some of those tools are, but um, you, you have to start somewhere with that. So if you don't have a good third party patching tool in place, you know that's that's a great place to start. Uh, but even if you do, I mean, um, getting getting on board with with some type of vulnerability scanning product uh, and just periodically scanning internally just to see what's out there. Um, so many of these we do for the first time with our clients, they are blown away by things that show up out there. It's like, man, I thought we shut that down or I thought this mm-hmm. was, thought this was mitigated, but it's just not. 
Um, and then on the other perspective, from an external perspective, you know, penetration testing. Um, there, there's no better way to simulate an attack or what uh, what attackers are going after these days than just seeing what, what holes you have outside and seeing if they're exploitable. It's, uh, it's so important to do those, you know, it, at least annually. It's probably one of the hardest... Everyone, in, in my opinion, everyone's in sales. And a, a CISO job, um, and in mid-market, there's, there's a lot of times no, no CISOs. A lot of times there's no, um, there's no checks and balances in place. There's no CISO and IT director. A lot of times it's just IT director or mm-hmm. IT That's manager. Right. That's um, right. And they have to do both. Yeah. And there is no checks and balances. And their sale, it's almost an impossible sale sometime because if nothing's happening or nothing's happened yet, it's hard to motivate someone to kind of like buy this security insurance, I guess, so to, so to speak, until something does happen. What's the best way to get someone to understand the severity of security and to want to invest in it? Or to even realize that maybe they maybe they think that they're not a target. Maybe people maybe one of the other problem mistakes people make is they we're not really a target. I don't know. Do people think that way? What do you think the biggest mistake people are making is from a, a C level perspective in security? Yeah, we, we, we definitely see that. And I need to think that um, you know hackers are um, you know more keen in on certain industries, whether that be healthcare. Um, or, or worse, we, we hear this one all the time. We're a small fish in a big pond dealing with so many small and medium sized businesses. Uh, this kind of goes back to the education piece of, you know, they're, they're, they're not targeting one certain person. I mean, it's, it's a shotgun approach out there. Um, and I think getting, especially sea level people on board, um, going again, going back to some other points there, but but, but click rates um, for, from some of these phishing emails, that's, that's huge. That's an eye-opener for C-level people. These penetration mm-hmm. testing reports um, are key for C-level people. And then finally, for the C-level people, it's like news headlines. Uh, there, there's nothing better than a good scare tactic from, hey, someone in our industry got hit, and oh my gosh, look what they paid in a ransom. Um, yeah, it's really ransomware, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, do you yeah. Think, how would you feel? This is how I would put it. Uh, Mr. CEO, very successful in your late 60s, maybe successful multimillionaire. How mm-hmm. would you feel to know that this, I don't know, 17-year-old derelict, very yeah. smart kid um, is holding your company ransom for maybe not even that. Maybe he just wants 20 grand. He just wants yeah. 20 grand you know, or, or $50,000. It happens. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, yeah. Give me a good story. Well, let's scare some people. What's the best story you got? Let's just do a medium story. Don't even do the best story. Let's just do everyday occurrence. Let's just do an everyday occurrence. Um, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And uh, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't do this. Okay. Let me, I may need to ponder and listen for a second. Uh, That's fine. <laughs> I'm thinking too, my brain, my brain tracking from a, um, non-disclosure kind of point, which we're not going to give you like uh, details, you. but, um, uh, I got you. I mean, we all know the bank of our Nerica. People know the bank of our Nerica. Right? <laughs> yeah. We know, we know those type white, you know, we know the guy that, you know, uh, is stalking the CEO's Facebook page and he's going to the Hamptons this Friday and we got to email HR and I need you to pay this invoice right away before I take off with, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, Susan to the Hamptons. Can you pay this right now? 
Um, but we, we've had, it, it's insane how often it's, especially dealing with, uh, dealing with clients is we, we get so many of, yeah, we, we, um, my, my CFO emailed me and said, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm out here at this, this conference. Um, there's this great new product, great new tool that we have got to get ground level on, you know, mm. wire this money. We, and unfortunately we have seen that so often and we oh, get yeah. the calls on the back ends and say, Hey, how can we get our money back? We wired it to God knows where uh, <laughs> it's not coming back. And that's, uh, it, it is so sad to see that. Um, and we've, we've helped some of our clients on the perspective of if they have cyber insurance, that's a whole other story for a different day. But do banks not, not do banks not credit that stuff back just out of curiosity? No. Can they not re? Can they not like you know reverse a charge in many it, cases? If they do, it hasn't been a case where where, where we've seen it. Um, okay. You know, certainly with with cyber insurance, but the, like, like like I said, there's a whole different um, laundry list of things that obviously have to be in place, or you know, your insurance companies aren't going to touch it. What's better? I mean, is, is cyber insurance kind of a joke anyways? I mean, honestly, like what's better, cyber insurance or better policy or better security? If you I had to pick somebody, one, if you had yeah, to pick one. If I had to pick one, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to pick a, you know, a good internal control set of, you know, controls and policies and procedures. Um, with okay. cyber insurance, it's, with cyber insurance, it's a, there can be a, a huge false sense of security there. I would think so. I would yeah. think there's oh, so many outs. We, and we've seen time and time again, uh, we've had clients that have these cyber insurance policies. Uh, they get hit. Uh-huh. They turn around and ask a Mr. Insurance company, please uh, uh, you know, reimburse me for all these costs. And the first thing they're turning around and say is, did you, uh, did you educate your employees not to click on an email or, you have policies and procedures for this and yeah. nine times out of 10, they're not going to have it. And interest mm-hmm. company goes hands up and we're mm-hmm. out. Uh, and it's, it's a huge smack of reality in the face of, um, in, the, in the face of these people. So what can you help other IT directors with? How can you help other mid-market IT companies out there? What can you do for them? Uh, just to preface here, is this a, is this a plug for services? I don't, I don't know where you're going here. Yeah, I'm. I'm t- this is a free plug. You can do okay, whatever you. Okay, you can okay, say whatever you want here. I didn't know. If I should, should <laughs> no, that's fine. Plugs here. Uh, okay. go ahead. I mean, go ahead and plug. Well, first of all, we want what you can give us for free. Uh, I'm not. And just so you know, there, there is no. There's no bias here. I'm just asking because uh, I didn't expect us to be talking about uh, security audits that much. I can't. <laughs> yeah. But but since it's I know that that's what you sure. do. Since, yeah. I know, since I know what you do, feel free to plug yourself all you want. Someone asked the other day, can I mention, um, I don't know, Fortinet on here? I was like, I don't know. Go ahead and mention okay, yeah, And sure. then, I, and then I'll call good. Fortinet later and ask them for uh, maybe, hey, I sponsored you. Can you give me a hundred bucks or something? But anyways, um, no, but really, what do you do anything for free? Um, and we all, everyone knows nothing comes for free. Like, let's be honest, right? You know, it's more like a free demo or something like that, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, this is your opportunity to tell me like, you know, what do you do and what can you do for IT directors to make their life easier and to sell, help maybe sell upper management on the value of security? Yeah. I think the first thing you mentioned free, I mean, we, um, we, we partner with, with, with several insurance companies that if, if you are curious about cyber insurance coverage of whether you have it or, if you don't, if you have a policy and you're just like, uh, you know, where would I stand if I hit, if I got hit by ransomware and you can certainly send those to us. And, uh, we, we have, um, 
from a completely free, have someone to review something like that uh, and sit down with you and review it just to see if there are any holes or gaps. Um, you know, from our perspective, you know, we, we deal with things like we are a full service accounting firm, but uh, within our group, uh, the security risk controls group, you know, we do anything from cyber risk assessments. And that's uh, if that's basing yourself off of some kind of popular framework, like a, like a NIST or a COVID, uh, we can certainly do that. Um, from a perspective of kind of getting your C-level people on board, we you know we've, we've certainly had cases where, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. We've, we've had cases where, um, where it's like C-level people want to be on board, but they need mm-hmm. kind of spurring along. So we can have those conversations to kind of help them realize um, what the benefit of is of getting them on board um, and using our reports to kind of leverage that um, now give me a little bit of an idea of what a security assessment can entail. And I don't know even how much like a, a security assessment can go for, because I don't know, this isn't my ball. This just no, isn't sure. my wheelhouse. My, yeah. my wheelhouse is replacing old phone systems and, and, and purchasing internet services and, yeah, yeah. you know, specific, very specific security products like email phishing and stuff like that. And I know how to do, I mean, I have people that do audits on public facing IP schemes and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. from your perspective, just a general security audit, what can someone expect and why should they do it? Yeah, so I mean, for, from a general perspective, um, what, what this usually entails about about four to six weeks of your time. Um, you know, we start with a general request list. Um, if needed, we'll, we'll come on site, do vulnerability scans to give you a good good high level overview. But we just sit down over a course of a, you know of a day or two and just completely walk through all of the controls that you have in place. Um, the most common one we do is over the the COVID framework. If you're familiar with that, it's uh, it's published by ASACA. They're kind of like an IT best practice organization. But, you know, we walk through anything from uh, your IT structure, your strategy. Does IT have a seat at the table with uh, with your C-level people? Mm-hmm. We look at uh, change management, um, the changes that you have in place. Do you have a formal SDLC process, uh, mm-hmm. other policies and procedures? Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at your patching. Is there a good process there? We talked about vendor management earlier, so we kind of mm-hmm. review where are your critical vendors? Are there any risks there? Are you mm-hmm. doing your proper due diligence over those vendors? Uh, another area we look at is around like your system application security. So that's diving in the passwords, looking at AD, all your users, um, and then kind of looking at your firewall. Um, what kind of firewall do you have in place? Uh, the administrators on that, intrusion detection, prevention, all that good stuff. Um, and then kind of a piece on your physical access as well. And I think finally, what we usually look at with the risk assessment is, um, is is kind of how you manage your data. So your backups, the good information on um, what's backed up, where is it backed up to, how often is it backed up, and kind of analyzing that, uh, making sure that you have the throughput and the, um, the the performance capabilities that you need to, to back off all of your, your systems uh, uh, as needed to protect your data. Gotcha. Now, are you guys, you guys don't sell insurance, do you? You're not like an insurance company. You're primarily an accounting firm that has a security assessment like division or how, do, how does that work? Yeah, that's right. We, we, we do not do not sell the insurance. Uh, like I said, this, this is just a division of, uh, of, of the accounting firm that just deals with security and, and controls gotcha. for our clients. Yep. Okay, awesome. And you're not making any specific suggestions for um, products or vendors or anything like that. You kind of main vendor agnostic from that standpoint, and you're providing, helping people put together a, I'm assuming, a security policy and strategy moving forward in the future. 
That's right. Yeah. So from from those areas that we look at, we'll kind of combine that into a report and give very specific um, um, recommendations. Uh, if, if there's no, because we are an accounting firm, if there's no independence issues, you know, we can certainly provide provide mm-hmm. template policies and procedures because um, there's obviously there's no no need to reinvent the wheel on those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, if there's no independence procedures. Um, you know, we have a team of people on site that um, that can make specific product recommendations if there um, there's no independence concerns to help you help you get rolling and implement those recommendations. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, um, so I guess my other question would be: Is what should someone expect so that they aren't kind of you know someone that's looking to do something like this? Mm-hmm. Should they be budgeting for this? What can they expect? to how much should someone expect to pay for like a full blown security audit like this? Again, me, I'm talking from someone that that does not do this on an everyday basis. And I do want people to know, like, look, when you go into this, this is what you can expect to pay, but you can expect to come out with a very strategic game plan and step-by-step process for implementing and feeling more secure. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's what you're saying there. Um, it, it can I mean, should they be a budgeting lot. like a hundred thousand, half a million, twenty thousand? Oh, yeah, and I, okay. I, I guess before I say anything, I'll preface this by saying, I mean, it's obviously going to depend a ton on size of company, complexity, case by case basis, of course. Yeah, yes, yeah right. sure. Um, but I would say most of our small to medium sized companies that um, we do a lot of risk assessments based on, like the NIST CSF uh, mm-hmm. or 853 or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that will typically run in the range of, I'm going to go ballpark like 20 to 20 to $30,000. You know, that includes a, a, a full assessment um, mm-hmm. assessment against that criteria. Um, mm-hmm. Seeing where you stand there, we give recommendations, you know, mm-hmm. we can present that to, to C levels and then, um, and then kind of go from there. And I mean, in, in all reality, it takes four to six weeks. So that's correct. Yeah. You know, you're basically outsourcing a company that doesn't have maybe, you know, we're, we're not taking on a head count. Um, we're not taking on, um, you know, a CISO level role, but you're outsourcing a job that's a month and a half for maybe twenty five, thirty $30,000 uh, mm-hmm. to implement a security policy and, and really have kind of a game plan going forward. To me, it seems like a, a very, uh, a very good assessment considering how much you would pay a CISO month salary anyways. Yeah, that's right. There's no doubt. I mean, if it, do you like how uh, I just flipped that? I just turned that into a latte at home. I just turned that into a latte at home. That was really good. Cisco latte at home. That's what we're going to name this. Anyways, uh, Cisco's drinking, uh, CISO's drinking lattes at home, uh, (laughs) because they're no longer needed. Because um, <laughs> <no. laughs> uh, we got Justin. Um, hey, so hey, uh, it's been great having you on the show. If you had any one piece of advice, other than uh, call you and get a security assessment, um, if you had any one piece of advice for mid-market IT directors out there, you know, managing two hundred upwards of two thousand end users, uh, maybe drinking from the fire hose, the up late at night, thinking about security, you know, is there? It, what would that be? You know, I'd say if I had to give one piece of advice, and we, we see this so often, and it, it really is a shame, but it would be like continue to work with uh, executives of the company. It's, it, it is so hard for IT to get a seat at the table, and we're such an advocate for that, but continue to work with them because 
you know, the, the sooner that they realize the importance of IT, I think that's a catalyst for growth for a company. Man, that's going to make this show last another 45 minutes. What's, um, <laughs> just, and okay, so I got to ask one follow-up question. Why is it so hard in your opinion? Why is it so hard for IT to get a seat at the table? Well, I think like, so the, the, um, the is it personality, kind of, is it nerdiness? What is it? There's certainly a disconnect. I mean, the, the, the scenario that you painted earlier, you, you got your 60 something year old CEO. That's probably about the demographic there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they grew up on the more, maybe a traditional side of things, less mm-hmm. technology, things mm-hmm. running on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got a, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, when you when you paint a picture of an IT person, you think of like a you know uh, someone hacking away at a computer down in a basement. We think of you. We think, of, think of we think of millennial. <laughs> we think of millennial, think of millennial who, was, yeah. who was talking about their first device that they had. <laughs> no. It was a mobile device. So, but, so here's what we want. We want to here's what we want to do. We want to put you in a room with Warren Buffett or Donald Trump or someone <laughs> like that, and we want you to convince them. I mean, do you think Warren Buffett has? Do you think do you think IT has a seat at the table? I definitely do. I mean, the, the guy's a brilliant man. And to, to me, I, so. I don't think there's any, there's any successful business today that doesn't embrace technology. I would love to ask him that question. That'd be great. That'd be great to hear his perspective. Yeah. yeah. My wife's from Nebraska, from Omaha. So, you know, okay. maybe we could just go to that McDonald's and like, you know, get a job at McDonald's. And so right. when we're selling him his egg McMuffin every morning, we can be like, Hey, by the way. That's right. Yeah. That's a stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, man. Hey, it's been uh, fantastic having you on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. And anyone that wants to get a hold of um, Justin, please feel reach, uh, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn and find him as well. Justin Headley. Um, uh, you can you can find him on on LinkedIn and just search Justin Headley Warren Averett. Am I pronouncing that right? A V E R E T T. Warren Averett. Yep. Warren Averett. Sorry. That's you, it. You no, you're find good. him. Uh, reach out to him and let him um, only bring only turn down a little bit of the paranoia because that will never go away. <laughs> it's always there. Thank you, sir. <laughs>